Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm one of those guys. My name is Benjamin R. Harrison. My name is Adam Pranica. How are you doing today, Adam? In what is sort of a trend, never been busier. <laughs> we were just talking off mic about, like, <laughs> being busy sucks. Yeah, um, fuck being busy. <laughs> I would so much rather be pumping out shows and shows be the only thing. But God damn it. This is the third job, the third different (laughs) job I've had today. I, uh, I subscribe to a listserv here in New York of people that work in radio. Mm -hmm. And, uh, somebody was on there looking for people that they could talk to about what it's like to have three jobs. And I think that they were looking for people who, you know, are very economically disadvantaged and have to have three jobs to make rent and stuff. Right. Uh, which is not really my case, but I was like, I kind of feel like I have that. Yeah. Uh, it us. It us. That me. (laughs) Ben, I have a proposition for you. Would you like to play a game? Uh, uh-oh. <laughs> What's can, the game, Adam? You can keep your keys in your pocket. This isn't that kind of game. Okay, good. I was just thinking about these decks of cards that Sarus Farivar gave us. These. Oh, yeah. Sarus Farivar sent us some Star Trek customizable card game decks. Yeah. and while Mine are I'm... still in the cellophane because I don't know anybody that plays this game. You and me both. And while I know these are not playing cards, this idea hit me while I was walking around, which was like, have you ever been to a casino and seen that casino table game called War? (laughs) I'm not familiar with it. Is it anything like the regular card game War where you just flip them over? It is absurdly exactly like that. The dealer deals you a card and deals themselves a card, and then the high card wins. <laughs> it's stupidly fast and amazing. They're I, like, Baccarat is insufficiently based solely on <laughs> luck and also too complicated. So Right. So my thought was, like, what if we opened up one of these decks, turned it upside down, uh-huh. And then played Star Trek War, <laughs> like best out of three cards. Like, see who's got the better card, as voted on by us. I think we'll be honest with each other about like who's got the best card. Okay. We'll, we'll do one round, two round, third round, and then it'll be like best out of three. Like who has the best two out of three cards? Okay. All right. I'm into it. Okay, I'm gonna open my deck. We're at war. There's been no formal declaration of war. Maybe this trick will bring us some luck. That nonsense is centuries behind us. War! Go to war! This is uh, Star Trek The Next Generation customizable card game, 80 card starter set, White Border Edition. Do we know what White Border Edition means? I don't think we have any idea what any of this means. 
You watch the first three cards we flip over are just gonna be like... They're just gonna be mana, right? They're gonna be uh, forest mana. Yeah. Oh shit, now there's an interior thing. There's so much cellophane here. I know. It's so wasteful. I have a weird booklet in mind. Do you? Yeah, I think that's I think that's how you play. Okay, uh, do you want to shuffle then? I'm shuffling, baby. I'm shuffling. Do you trust me to cut my own deck, Adam? Uh, I'm just going to do that thing where I tap on the top of your deck, and that basically <laughs> means good enough. Okay, we have a couple of shuffled decks. Are you ready to flip over your first card? I am ready. All right, three, two, one, flip. Oh, boy. <laughs> I have Dr. Farrick, the uh, the Ferengi medical officer. <laughs> Is that the guy that was torturing uh, Loaxana? Yeah, he beamed her out of her clothes. Well, interesting. I have uh, Hannah Bates, genetically engineered scientist from Moab 4, granted asylum aboard USS Enterprise in 2368. What are what are her uh, her things? Integrity, cunning, and strength are the are the qualifications I have. Her integrity is six. Her cunning is eight, and her strength is two. Well, I think you beat me on integrity because I'm two, eight, and three on all those things. So I think oh. I think Hannah is the winner of round A one. Numerical winner for Hannah Bates. A numerical, if not. Uh, subjective winner because I think I probably <laughs> would have voted for her too. <laughs> yeah, fuck Ferengis. <laughs> Are you ready to flip the next card? It's just the next card, right? We're not shuffling. Yeah. No, now okay. let's do it. Three, two, one, flip. Oh boy, I have a starship, Ben. I have USS Excelsior. You're gonna need a ship to be able to beat me. I think I have you beat, to be honest. No, I have a space dock. Oh god damn that it! It's wrapped around a a starship. It looks like a it, it looks like one of the um, Honda Del Sol class starships in this particular picture. Oh man! I don't know. That's a do you, you can you can challenge my assessment. It's the it's the kind of crabby looking one where their arms kind of wrap around. I mean, I guess we should decide. Like, is is one of the qualifications deciding what could destroy the other thing? Yeah, like Space Doc definitely doesn't win in a fight. Yeah, that's but. just it. And I'm not sure if Dr. What's-Her-Name uh, kills Dr. Farrick in a fight either. <laughs> so I guess maybe we should just choose what our favorite is. Yeah. I don't know, man. Which, which starship do you have? Excelsior? I have USS Excelsior, otherwise known as a Hood-class starship. As, as we've retconned the starship lines. <laughs> yeah, I guess we have done that. Um, well, I'll, I'll give you the W on that. I, I, think, right. I think you're right that the, uh, that the spaceship having has an advantage over the space dock. Are uh, we ready to flip our final card, Adam? Yeah, let's do it. Tied at one. This is the tiebreaker. Three, two, one. Flip. <laughs> you go first this time I have a dilemma <laughs> My dilemma, Adam Is Shaka when the walls fell God damn it That's gonna and, be tough uh, to beat 
It says uh, you must have two diploma- diplomacy and greater than 30 cunning to communicate and proceed. You may think that that's a pretty great card, Ben. <laughs> but the card I have is for Vecma. You might remember her as the Klingon female who propositioned Will Riker when he did the <laughs> Klingon Exchange student project on the Pach. <laughs> yeah. She was the one uh, giving Riker the eye jammies while he was eating. Mm. She was like, oh, I gotta give me some of that. I gotta find me a Starfleet officer who can do both. Mm. <laughs> she really had no idea what she was getting herself into. No idea she was a medical officer, though. That's good trivia. Oh, who knew? Yeah. I don't know. So, is it your dilemma or mine? Are you, yours is also a dilemma card? <laughs> no, it is a. Uh, I'm calling it a dilemma because it was what Riker faced in that exact moment. Boy, Adam, do you want to call this a draw and flip one more? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's go until we're sure. <laughs> let's go until something comes out. <laughs> Three, two. One. Oh, oh man. I have F- Fleet Admiral Shanti. Fleet Admiral Shanti authorized a blockade of Romulan forces covertly supporting the Klingon Civil War in 2368. <laughs> this is a woman that is coming in with a massive nine integrity, six cunning, and four strength at him. I think you got me beat here, Ben. <laughs> Because uh, my card is for a dilemma, and it is Archer, uh, one of the indigenous Mintakan inhabitants that shoots an arrow. So I don't know if aggression-wise we could be more opposite in in someone who has their finger on the button of a starship or armada and a guy with a bow and arrow. (laughs) Yeah, one has a several planet killings at her fingertips and the other can harm an elk (laughs) (laughs) well uh, fun to play a different card game with you Ben I don't know if this one will stick around but it was neat to revisit some of our favorite characters and situations yeah that was great good (laughs) idea Adam yeah I think it's good to call back a gift too that was a that was one of the great gifts one of many gifts that Saru's Farvar has given us so thanks pal thank you all right. Well, I think reintroducing ourselves to uh, to some previous characters might be a good segue into the episode we're talking about today, Ben, because there's some sure. deep callbacks going on in Season 7, Episode 12, The Pegasus. This is a pretty legendary show open, Adam. Captain Picard Day. I thought that last year the teachers had agreed that they wouldn't do this anymore. Captain Picard Day is one of the children's favorite school activities. They look forward to it all year. Let's just brainstorm what Captain Picard Day could be. And let's also talk about what it is. It's The setting is the observation lounge. Yeah, I mean, we don't really see everything that it is because... That's what I'm saying. Yeah, the Observation Lounge, and it's there's like a banner and lots of art submissions. Picard has to judge what the best art is. 
What you don't see is that like cardboard standy, like that three three panel cardboard stand, like for a science fair. Yeah. There aren't any of those on the table, unfortunately. <laughs> there isn't the report like on Picard as a Borg. Like, who's the kid that's gonna step out on the ledge and go, Yeah, Picard's pretty cool and everything, but remember when he almost killed us? <laughs> Like, who's the emo kid doing that one? Everybody knows that Captain Picard is a great leader and the head of the ship, but what my project presupposes (laughs) is maybe he's a terrible villain? (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) There's, like, a papier-mâché head. Like, there's a bust on the table that, that looks terrifying. It's real. It's like sub Alexander quality arts and crafts here. I think is what we're seeing. Yeah, I sort of. I always wonder how the kids' artwork in movies and television is generated because it's, there's something kind of unmimicable about it. Yeah, like I think adults just like conceive of how to put a mark on a page in a different way, and uh, and and like the kid. This is like really plausible children's artwork and it's great like i kind of wonder if it's just like stuff that kids sent in over the years yeah sometimes you'll have someone like for instance read a letter that's supposed to be from an eight-year-old boy you know praising a leader in a way that that doesn't sound credible or believable and you can tell sometimes when things like that have been crafted by an adult person making it sound like a child Oh, look at this. The entries for Captain Picard Day were sourced from two local elementary schools and the children of the prop master, Alan Sims. So we've got authentic kid stuff here. That's great. Captain, message yeah. is authentic. I concur, sir. I agree. Message is authentic. Those poor kids, though, were probably ostracized not long after <laughs> this, right? <laughs> hey, kids, want to do something for TV? <laughs> yeah! Want to do something for Star Trek? Boo! (laughs) (laughs) Frakes is really fucking loving this scene, though. He's having so much fun. He's the best. He does, like, he has permanently one raised eyebrow. Yeah, it's, like, just stapled up to the (laughs) top of his hairline. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he's fantastic. And he actually does an impression. Yeah. Which I love. They seem to have a somewhat exaggerated impression of me. I don't know. I think the resemblance is rather striking. Wouldn't you agree, number one? What if he'd done some of the numerous impressions that we do, Adam? <laughs> what if he'd done a quarter-life crisis Batman? What would that sound like? I'm sure it would be great. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about all of our impressions is that none of them are difficult. That's why we keep doing them. <laughs> Well, Picard is tasked with selecting winners in the Captain Picard Day art contest, and uh, Riker and Troy have left the room when he gets a FaceTime from an admiral who has a kind of a cryptic project for him. They are to rendezvous with the starship Crazy Horse and pick up somebody from Starfleet Intelligence who's going to brief them on what they're doing. The Crazy Horse is, of course, a hood-class starship. And that's exciting. That is exciting. 
It and, also uh, uh, it also contains one of Riker's old commanding officers. Right, and this is not Captain DeSoto. I was so crushed that it wasn't him. <laughs> but I understand. Admiral like, DeSoto. DeSoto is uh, way down the block doing his own thing. Yeah. He has the that thing, is... what's that called? Detached duty? He's on permanently detached duty. <laughs> They're like, uh, you know, DeSoto, like, it's pretty improbable that you ever achieved the rank of captain. Uh, so don't look a gift horse in a mouth. Enjoy it, you know? Like, don't, you know, don't act like you're going to get elevated to the admiralty anytime soon. The best you can do is just keep quiet and mind your own business. Yeah. If you don't make a problem for us, we won't make any problems for you. This admiral on the FaceTime like sort of sees the banner behind Picard. Captain Picard Day? And Picard is forced to demure about it, like... <laughs> oh, um... Yes, it's, uh, it's, it's for the children. Indoctrinating the children of the ship, huh, Picard? That's great. <laughs> I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm a role model. <laughs> I'm sure you are. What I sort of hoped you had done is gone, like, Jesus, you must have hundreds and hundreds of children on board your ship if, if there's that much art being generated. That's a, Maybe I we mean, should rethink this whole policy. <laughs> he's, Picard is just forced to be, like, he sort of like shrugs his shoulders and he's like, yeah, it's not really something that I planned on doing, but the kids love me. <laughs> Can't break those children's hearts, that's for sure. No. They take on Admiral Pressman from Starfleet Intelligence, who is played by a real television that guy, Terry O'Quinn. Boy, is he. He's such a that guy, and he's such a chameleon that, like, most people, I think, would recognize Terry O'Quinn from Lost. But he looks nothing like Lost-era Terry O'Quinn in this show. He really doesn't. He is, I mean, not that he's overweight and lost, but he is, he looks tall and thin and, and like, he has hair. <laughs> he looks tan. <laughs> like, he is a number of things that he is not in Lost. And you sort of lose the thread on him. He really just, as, you know, what great TV show that guys do is disappear into their characters. And you sort of lose where Terry, O'Thrid, where Terry O'Quinn begins and Eric Pressman ends. Like, like totally. he's great at that. I think he's fabulous in this part. And um, he is there to, to oversee an operation to recover a ship that he was the captain of and Riker was the helmsman of. He was the first commanding officer that Riker ever had. Will! I'll bet you never thought you'd see me again. It's so weird to think about Riker as an ensign. Yeah. Young, dumb, and so full of cum, it's almost <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> God, you know, like, who was puberty worse for, Riker or everyone around Riker? <laughs> there wasn't a usable gym sock in the county when Riker was growing up. <laughs> He'll really challenge your plumbing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you better put two measures of Tide in that load of wash, Kyle. That really began the whole estrangement between Kyle Riker and Will Riker. Like, just the 
God, do I have to wash everything four times? When is this boy going to be old enough to do his own laundry? <laughs> it's a... I can beat him at Anbo Jitsu, but turnabout always happens when it's time to clean up. Kyle Riker is like jamming the top of a top load clothes washer <laughs> with an Anbo Jiu-Jitsu Q-tip. <laughs> Just plunging. <laughs> uh, like that's while we're spitballing here Ben that could be a new shirt like Kyle Riker's fluff and fold laundry it's just him standing over a top load clothes washer like plunger style with the ambo jujitsu stick <laughs> face mask down for protection yeah <laughs> yeah as soon as Pressman beams onto the ship you know it's sort of like the thing where an ex, you see an ex-boss after a long time and you fall into that same pattern of like he's still the boss you are still lesser than Riker mm-hmm. is the man about town the varsity crewman of of the ship and as soon right. as Pressman's on board Pressman is not a big man but Riker looks diminished just by his presence it's the way that Riker plays it yeah, that, that sells this, and um, this is a Lavar Burton directed episode, and I think that there are some really, really strong directing in this, both in the kind of performances he's getting out of the characters, but also like some framing decisions. Yeah, because when you've got a man as big as Jonathan Frakes getting big dogged from two different directions, the way he is in this episode. I feel like there is temptation. There's a real to, spit roast big dogging happening here, right? Yeah. There's a temptation to frame it so that he's not the big man in the scene, but he's generally speaking framed bigger than the people he's bigger than. Terry O'Quinn is six two. How how tall do you think Frakes is? Six four. That's a big man. Yeah. That's a tall drink of come (laughs) (laughs) it does a body good well they head to the system that the pegasus this missing ship is has last been spotted in and i guess they have some some intel that the romulans found a piece of it so their goal is to salvage the ship if they can, but uh, if they if they cannot, their goal is to destroy it so that the Romulans won't get their hands on it. And uh, that's all they know. So they head off, and they pull up to a field of asteroids. This is going to be them hunting through asteroids trying to find this thing. Pretty spectacular setting for this episode. I think we've seen asteroid fields before, but not in a long time. And, you know, there are a lot of scenes where there's incidental asteroid field out the window. Yeah. It's really beautiful. It's great. It kind of looks like the asteroid field from uh, Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. You're not actually going into an asteroid field. It's not long after they arrive that uh, they get on FaceTime with the local patrolling Romulan warbird. Like... Like, they pull into the system, and uh, and Pressman is like, the Romulans are here. Like, they're not going to show themselves, but they're here. And then the Romulans are like, hey! 
How are you guys doing? I am Commander Cyril of the Romulan vessel Terex. I don't know whether you want to talk about this or not, Ben, but I think it feels, it felt significant at the time that this is a black Romulan. Yeah, I didn't know that black Romulan was a thing. It's only significant in that I don't think we've ever seen one before. There's no reason there shouldn't be a black Romulan, is my point. Sure. I mean, you know, we know in the future that there are black Vulcans, so it establishes that continuity. Right. Yeah, and I sort of wondered um, when this guy popped on screen if this is a a decision that LeVar Burton made in casting. Yeah, I wondered the same thing. I mean, but, you know, whatever a Romulan's sub-race may be, uh, this guy is just as smarmy and condescending <laughs> as any of the others we've seen on this show. He is he is peak passive-aggressive. Yeah, he's fucking great. And um, <laughs> they kind of, they kind of like retread some classic repartee of like, oh, we're just here doing science. We are conducting a survey of gaseous anomalies. How interesting. So are we. We could you know, work together the way we always say we're going to, but never actually do. He kind of has those stare off in the middle distance, dead eyes of a James Earl Jones from the first Conan movie. Steel isn't strong, boy. Flesh is stronger. Yeah. He's very affecting in the eyes in a real unique way to me. And like you say, they're doing that thing where it'd be a shame if something fucked up happened to your ship. Well, good luck with your science mission, like that sort of thing. We wouldn't want to damage you. Oh, I don't think that will be a problem. Yeah, like, always a slap fight with the Romulans. (laughs) With the close presence of the Romulans established, uh, the entrepreneur begins its search and it's going to be a tough search because the system has like ionizing radiation all over it. And there's lots of big rocks that they have to poke around. So, yeah, uh, I mean, and and also just the sheer multitude of different asteroids in the field. Like this is this is a great big pile of rocks they need to sift through. Yeah. And um, and you want to do it in such a way that you don't call attention to the ones that you find interesting, right? So there's, like, that game going on. Yeah. Speaking of not wanting to call attention to yourself, Riker and Pressman head down to 10 forward and have a very secrety chat in the most public part of the ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this sort of cuts both ways, right? Like... Sometimes if you're having a secret chat, you want to go to a place where there's a lot of traffic and noise. But 10 mm-hmm. forward is always library quiet. <laughs> Except if there's a fist fight happening. I mean, maybe they're like purloined lettering. Like, we won't look like we're having a covert chat. Yeah, if, we're if just it's out in the open. Here talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's clear that, like, Riker has a lot of... I mean, we've already established it, but Riker has misgivings about seeing Pressman and misgivings about the mission that they are on. And he uh, is getting ordered to kind of keep his mouth shut about the thing that he and Pressman know that nobody else knows. And 
they're they're giving us very little to go on. There are references to an incident wherein Riker had to choose sides, and there's just sort of an obliqueness to their to what they're talking about, to where you sort of get a general understanding that Riker was caught up in something that at the time he didn't quite understand. Pressman has ever since sort of regarded him in a good way. Right. And it's unclear as to whether or not Riker owes him anything for that. At least that's how I felt in the first half of the episode. Like, is the reason that Riker is so tight-lipped about this because, like, without Pressman, he wouldn't be where he is? This episode is so operatic about the conflict that Riker is facing. Yeah. It's this Swiss watch of loyalty and duty and the oath that he swore and the actions he regrets and how does he redeem himself it's it's really intense like yeah the admiral has not uh, gotten sufficiently trashed with Riker so he uh, goes to a second location which is Picard's ward room and uh, they're hammering some brandy and uh, and and they're talking about this like like Pressman is like, why is Riker your first officer? And Picard's like, well, I read this thing about when he was on the hood, he like openly defied something that DeSoto wanted to do. And I like that he puts his judgment ahead of his career. Pressman's like, well, yeah, not a lot of people agree with the way DeSoto does things. That's why he's on the hood. (laughs) And it's probably the only way you get off the hood if you get assigned to it, right? The hood is like the Siberia of Starfleet. Yeah. That is an assignment you do not want sometimes. And like uh, the next scene is Riker in Six Bay with a Batleth injury from the holodeck. And it's like, it's almost as if this scene is a metaphor. Will, it's all right. You made a mistake. No harm done. You'll be better next time. Yeah, maybe. It's almost as if this scene is just about trying to figure out how long Riker could walk through the ship with an open robe. <laughs> yeah, he's saying things like, I got distracted, and the doctor's like, it can happen to anybody, and he says, I, I knew what I was supposed to do, and I didn't do it. Riker is uh, is really globalizing this pretty normal injury, it seems like. Yeah, Dr. Beverly thinks they're talking about one thing, and Riker knows they're talking about something else. I'd be distracted, too, you know, if Riker William T. walked through my door with that much chest hair on display. I don't think I would be picking up on subtleties. He basically has a high-top fade of chest hair. Like, it (laughs) it is, like, uniform and bushy, and it goes fully hemisphere to hemisphere. It controls the vertical and the horizontal bit. (laughs) so the search goes on yeah search goes on they find something promising in an asteroid so that and they're like they like tiptoe up to it but the romulans notice that they've gotten interested in this rock so they they like dump a bunch of radiation on it to conceal what might be within it and uh, and get out of there it's like two kids fighting over candy, and one of them licks the candy. 
Like, yeah, totally. <laughs> I got this one. <laughs> yeah, they lick the cookie, Adam. Yeah. And then it's just like, it's a lot of like brinksmanship for the rest of the middle of the episode. Like Riker trying to stand up to Pressman. I recommend we destroy the asteroid. Pressman big-dogging Riker. I thought it was more important that the Romulus... Well, you were wrong! And Picard, like, catching Riker in the fact that there is something, like, pretty dirty in his past with Pressman. Mutiny? On a Federation starship? That's... That's shocking. It's it's unthinkable. Yeah, and it's not just that it's dirt. It's that Riker would seek to conceal that from his commanding officer after being pretty directly asked about it. And yet you've never mentioned it. No, sir. It's one of those things where the cover-up is worse than the initial, initial crime at this point to Picard. It's a real Iran-Contra situation. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true. But the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. And Picard goes so far as to say, if what you're not telling me ends up jeopardizing the ship or the crew, then I might have to think about who I want to be my first officer. Like, sort of drops that bomb on him. If fool me, we can't get fooled again. Because what he found is, like, the record of a court-martial that took place when Pressman and Riker and the, like, handful of people that survived the destruction of the Pegasus, the punitive destruction of the Pegasus. When they got back to Earth, they told Starfleet that there was a mutiny on board. And Starfleet's finding was that there probably was a mutiny on board, but they weren't being given the whole truth by the survivors. So, I mean, the fact that Picard never even knew that Riker was on the winning side of a mutiny... Like defending the captain from a mutinous crew is a like a pretty show-stopping revelation for him. It's something that I feel like you might ask in a job interview. Like, <laughs> have you previously ever been guilty of a mutiny or taken part in a <laughs> mutiny? Like, that's why a lot of Starfleet officers can't get jobs is because they end up checking the wrong box there. <laughs> it's, it has a real career-limiting effect. Wait, what's a mutiny again? <laughs> what ship do you see yourself mutinying on in five years? <laughs> yeah, and that is like critical knowledge for a captain in choosing an XO. Like the guy's been sort of an open robe for the last seven years, and now, <laughs> now it turns out he's wearing some sort of chest plate all along. Yeah, some sort of Batman plate with realistic nipples and abs. Oh, that was close to a spit take. <laughs> oh, if only you could have seen that. That was heroic, how I held that one together. Oh. Like, it was, it, it actually went up the sinuses, like, into the, into the back of the nose, and then I just sort of, oh, like, man. pulled it back down. Oh, I'm sorry. I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't realize that you were taking a big swig of milk when I said that. Everything was on the line there. <laughs> I am acute as a ball. You will assist us. So it is with this backdrop and the Romulans uh, off on the other side of the sector that uh, they go back to the the rock that they discovered, and they're pretty sure that the ship is in the asteroid. Which isn't much of a deterrent to Admiral Pressman. Pressman's like, cool, uh, that's not going to be a big deal. I think all we need to do is take the Enterprise into the asteroid. 
and Picard's like, the fuck? <laughs> like, this is this is a salvage operation. We are in the flagship of the fleet. Like, is that really necessary? Why don't we just nuke the asteroid from orbit? It's the only way to be sure. Fucking A. Yeah, like P- Picard didn't... And, and I think Riker actually comes up with the idea of just as of just shooting up the asteroid. Yeah. And I think that Riker likes this because it will obviate the need for him to ever answer any questions about what really happened on board that ship. If the ship's gone, there's nothing to talk about. So I think he's wrong about though that though, Ben, because if they shoot up the asteroid and destroy it, that conversation that they had that Picard and Riker had in Picard's quarter still remains. And if Riker doesn't cop to anything more, like, what does Picard do there? He probably reassigns Riker, doesn't he? Isn't this yeah, a... Yeah, it's just going to be a thorn in his side for for the rest of uh, their relationship. Yeah, I don't know if they could continue after that. So Riker offers this up as an option. Pressman just squishes that down right away. <laughs> and sort of twist Picard's arm into going in. And in they go. Mr. Data, will you please note in the ship's log that this action is being taken over my explicit objection? It is so noted, sir. There is a hole in the surface of the asteroid that is sufficiently big for the entrepreneur, and they they start flying in, and it's like there's some really fun model effects here, like showing showing the ship entering the hole showing it going in and then showing it inside the hole. And Picard like turns to Pressman and he's like, okay, we've got the tip in, but uh, if this hole gets much smaller, I'm aborting the mission. Uh, Fuck your orders. Isn't this the whole point of having a ship that can separate the saucer? Like (laughs) the whole point of having a ship of this configuration is so that you could keep the civilians outside the asteroid, right? They should have played the theme song, separated the ship, and then gone in after. (laughs) Having the ship there, having the saucer just hanging out next to the asteroid would have been what you call a tell (laughs) when the Romulans came back. Yeah. So I I can see why why they decided against it, but you're right. This This is dangerous stuff. They get in and they find the Pegasus and it's like, Half in, half out of the rock. It's like that lady who melted into the floor in the corridor. Remember that? Yeah. I think the same idea, right? Like, the the matter has phased. Yeah. So, um, and that's uh, that's what they, they find. Like, Riker and, and Pressman are the only two people that beam over to the Pegasus. And they find a cloaking device. Uh, plugged into the warp core and this is where we get the kind of reveal of what Pressman and and Riker have known they were part of a research team researching a phasing cloaking device that would allow a Federation starship to pass through solid objects and uh, this is a direct violation of the Treaty of Algeron which is a 60 year pact that has kept the Federation and the Romulans out of war with each other. It's such an exciting piece of technology, right? And unfortunately, it's also like 
patently obvious that they will have to plug this thing into the enterprise later like yeah you can't it's introduce Chekhov's cloaking this... device <laughs> yeah you um, can't introduce this thing's existence without knowing for sure that the enterprise is going to use it yeah it would just be man how fucking how much of a blue balls would it be <laughs> if they didn't do it it would <laughs> be like, cloaked well, balls I'll just shoot this thing with a hand phaser and then we'll beam back to the entrepreneur and we'll get out of here. End of episode. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) That'd be so awful feeling. (laughs) Riker in this scene actually bites back. Like he, his dog has been bigged throughout the episode, but now that they're in private, they can drop the ranks a little bit. Riker's like, you know, all those years ago, I took the wrong side. Like, we should have destroyed this thing when we had the chance. A bunch of people died because of your stupid decision to, to like, protect the secret of this thing. Like, and guess what? Like, I'm done. As soon as we get back to the Enterprise, like, I'm going to tell Picard everything like I should have from the start. And the, this whole thing's going to be The Federation having this thing will precipitate war with the Romulan Empire. And so Riker is saying to Pressman just taking this out of here is extremely dangerous and will cause thousands of deaths. Yeah. How many people will die this time? 50? 100? 1,000? What are acceptable losses? 30 to 50% casualties. This is a great scene. It is. It's so fun because the ship is on this canted angle, so every angle is dutched inherently. Yeah. The lighting is super dramatic. You know, Riker is standing up in this shadowy corner of the engineering section and like and then when he, when he steps out he like steps into the light and it's this like my argument is flawless. And Riker Angry is one of my favorite Rikers. Like he's so great. It's a top Riker. Yeah. They start getting bangers dropped on him though, Adam. Yeah, their argument becomes interrupted and they got to beam back to the ship. Two people and a piece of equipment is what Pressman says. <laughs> yeah, they beam back and um, Riker and Pressman come back out onto the bridge and uh, Picard is looking very upset at the at the view screen, which has a molten wall of rock uh, displayed on it. And he explains to them that... The Romulans have sealed them in. It's not a great look for Picard. He's stuck in the hole. And uh, up on the view screen pops our Romulan friend who's like, Hey, buddy, looks like your car's in the ditch. (laughs) Uh, Oh, what a bummer that that your car is stuck there. You know, I can help you out if only you beamed over your entire crew. Yeah. And, uh, And we'll take you back to Romulus. Take care of your situation, no problem. Pressman's reaction here is, we can't do that because then they'll have both ships. Like, this is something he thought to say out loud. (laughs) (laughs) The offer from the Romulan captain is so ridiculous that those words don't need to be said. Like, (laughs) thanks, Admiral. One of the great minds of the Federation chiming in. If we do that, then they'll put the Enterprise in the uh, central square of the Romulan homeworld. It's what they've always wanted. It's what they've always wanted. And uh, and they refuse. And uh, the second they, they shut the FaceTime, Riker says, Well, listen, I've got an idea. 
Pressman's not going to like it, but we've got this piece of equipment in his quarters that we brought back from the ship that can get us out of this mess. Pressman looks at him like, are you fucking serious? You're going to do this right now? I think up until this moment, Pressman wasn't sure that Riker was like had the stones. Yeah. The situation has brought this on. There's no way out of this asteroid without it. And um, it's it made me like the silliest scene because the existence of this technology is revealed and and uh, Riker's plan to use it to get them out of the asteroid is uh, follows closely. And, and Picard turns to Data and he's like, Data, will that work? And Data's like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Given given everything I know about this technology that didn't exist, in, as far as I knew, three seconds ago. I love that the idea is also to use the cloak, escape the asteroid, and then park outside the Romulan ship. Like, couldn't they just go home under cloak? <laughs> yeah. Couldn't they at least put off the war they know is going to happen by it doing seems, that? I think so. It seems like that would have been the right move Mm. but i guess that's sort of like the mechanics of the of the episode are that it's about not being secretive not being a criminal so it's like like picard telling them to drop cloak is sort of like a parent taking their kid back to the store that they stole a pen from and making (laughs) him give it back or pay for it (laughs) sure yeah well put pressman is fucking pissed he's like he's trying to get Worf to take to take Picard into custody Worf does that great thing where he just stands there and crosses his arms it's one of the great Worf moves yeah I I thought it would be really fun if um Ensign Gates the the helmswoman had come to had come to Pressman's defense and grabbed the phaser and shot everybody (laughs) mimicking the move that Riker did all those years ago that would have been amazing (laughs) he's an admiral what's wrong with you people (laughs) Pressman's like you've got some career potential (laughs) I like this one Ensign Gates stick with me you're going places (laughs) but uh, Pressman's not the only one fitted for handcuffs and taken to the brig. Riker's on his way there, too, because he's not an innocent himself. No, he has his hands nearly as dirty as Bressman does. And Picard comes down to visit Riker in the brig, and it's pretty clear that Riker's been there for a while. Uh, Picard sits down and, and chats with him. There will be a full inquiry once we reach Starbase 247. I like that Picard kind of reused some of his... Uh, some of his speech to Wesley, like you've you're known to be an honest officer, and because you tell the truth, you deserve to wear that uniform. Yeah, it's good. It's very like canonical Picard, and he's basically saying like I've put in a good word for you. You've uh, obviously earned a lot of goodwill over the years since the thing, and as a very junior officer, when the Pegasus incident happened. You like weren't really that culpable for for what you did, and um, oh man, he mentions Fleet Admiral Shanti of the card I opened at the beginning of this very episode. 
What good fortune we had with that game. (laughs) Glad you suggested it, Adam. This conversation made me think a lot about how, like, the truth that Picard presents is that Riker's been an exemplary officer, and he is a good man. And good men have made mistakes in their lives, especially in their youth. And this is why, like... This is why, like, in politics, I never trust a candidate who is who has a totally squeaky clean background. Like, right. That never feels real to me. Like, give me someone who's made a mistake and has learned from it and has used that as a way to teach other people. Like, give me anything but a perfect person. And that's what Riker is. And that's sort of what makes Riker perfect to me. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, uh, I'll uh I'll come right out and say it, Adam. I think this is a great episode. Yeah, me too. One thing we glossed over, and one of the ways that I think this may not have been a perfect episode, but rather a great episode, is that when they decloak outside the Romulan ship, and the captain over there is like, what the fuck are you guys doing? That is nuts. I thought we locked you in there. Picard sort of does the, the writer's cop-out of like, our people will call your people later about this incident. <laughs> we actually don't have time in the episode to wrap this up. So yeah, look for this later on in future episodes. That like, It's okay that that was undone, but it seemed a little too transparently. We don't know what the consequence of this is, so we're just going to kick the can down the road. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's... It seems so strange, given the fact that they could have just gone away under a cloak. Yeah. That they chose to do it that way. I yeah. mean, it's, I guess, on theme, but maybe a little kludgy in execution. I love this episode. I love conspiracy episodes in general. I think, I think we both feel this way. Conspiracy, the episode, one of the great episodes. All, yeah. all other episodes that involve conspiracies, I'm a big fan of. I think this is part of what this show does best, is tell those stories. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not a big, crazy conspiracy with tons of moving parts. It's like essentially a guy that went rogue trying to legitimize a terrible thing he did in the past. Yeah. Yeah, really great. You know what else is really great, Adam? Our viewers. And they, uh, they may have sent us some P1s. Do you want to go check? Yeah, we better do that. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of priority one messages here. The first one is from Plavim and Raz. What? <laughs> I can't believe this. <laughs> You're going to read a P1 from one of them? <laughs> From both of them, Adam, it's to Pran Man and the Front Porch Campaigner. It goes like this. Just wanted to say thanks. That was an insane night in Milwaukee. We had a great time. I had no idea those girls would really do that on a tandem bicycle, no less. I hope the hotel wasn't too pissed. Let's do it again next time you're in town. Ben, the one thing we can't do on our tour stop in Milwaukee is tell anyone in what hotel we're staying. <laughs> Let's agree to that right now. I'm with you, buddy. 
I least, am a- least of all Res and Plavim. <laughs> I feel like they have a rich history of doing things that will uh, definitely get you additional charges on your final receipt. You meet Raz and Plavim at a tour stop, you better remember one thing, Ben. A good supply of Purell. <laughs> ben, our second priority one message is from Raz and Plavim's group therapist. It is for Raz and Plavim. <laughs> what? Message goes like this. Identifying the source of your anger is an important first step. Plavim, it's okay for you to be angry with Raz for sleeping with your sister. Raz, it's not okay for you to refer to such activities as staying a night in the Raz Mahal. <laughs> P.S. If you can afford thousands of dollars on P1 messages, you can afford your therapy bill. You are past due. <laughs> and just like that, the Raz and Plavim verse has grown. Yeah, man. And this is uh, this is a real whiplash because that first one was so self-referential. I yeah. thought that we were going to just like turn in on ourselves and disappear. And now there is a group therapist in the cast of characters. I have a feeling in not too far in the future, we will be doing Raz and Plavim cons. <laughs> I'm pretty excited about meeting Raz and Plavim in the flesh in Milwaukee. You and me both, man. That's exciting. I guess that will have already happened by the time we, we air this, right? Yeah. Oh, boy. Weird. Better get our uh, our inoculations before then. <laughs> yeah, you have to go to one of those travel clinics. <laughs> Nothing like that Milwaukee travel clinic, Ben. <laughs> Just uh, 40 cc's of bratwurst. Well, if you'd like to give us a few cc's to keep us up and running, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Of course, personal messages are $100, and commercial messages are $200, and they really help us make this pod. Thanks, guys. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. 
Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen. So I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I did. It's pretty obvious. It's just freaks in that first scene. Uh, or, I guess, Riker. Uh, just, you know, he's just having so much fun. He, he puts the doll he, in the crook of his arm and, like, <laughs> waves his little mini arm. It's so great. <laughs> What's better than that, Adam? The thing I wish we asked LeVar Burton about that we didn't when we interviewed him a couple episodes ago was not just about the first episode he directed, but this one, the second episode, because it would have been nice to hear how his way of directing changed and also how much latitude he may have given Frakes in this scene. Because it yeah. seems like Frakes is improvising almost all of this. Like, you give a great improviser a table full of props, and, <laughs> like, I wonder how many takes he got with all the different props. I wonder if there's, like, a 30-minute reel of him just vamping. Yeah. I also sort of wonder, um, you know, we were talking recently about the idea that in season seven, Frakes was cheaping up the <laughs> episodes he wasn't directing himself. <laughs> and, uh, like, I this love episode, that theory. This episode is so is so dense with budget, you know. Yeah. There's lots of cool special effects and, you know, shots of the ship flying into an asteroid and stuff. I wonder if LeVar Burton was in on that game. Yeah, Talk about conspiracies. That. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, this was 
This felt like a full budget episode. Yeah. No corners cut. Did you have a drunk Shimoda, Adam? I mean, Riker is the obvious choice. The Shimoda that I had in mind was Pressman and his reaction to the Romulan offer. Like, that to me was like the dumbest part of a very smart episode. (laughs) (laughs) We can't do that. They'll have both ships. Like, (laughs) shut the fuck up, Pressman. Like, are you serious? (laughs) But, like... From a purely fun standpoint, it could be no one else besides Frakes. Like, Frakes as Riker was yeah. was seen stealing. In I mean, and he, you could you could put him up for Shimoda of the season with his performance in this cold open. It's fantastic. Yeah. I love it. Ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode is season seven, episode 13. Homeward, Worf Foster Brother violates the Prime Directive in an effort to save a doomed alien race? Do you remember this one, Adam? Worf's foster brother? Yeah. Who is that? Paul Sorvino, Adam. (laughs) I love Paul Sorvino. Paul Sorvino's the best. He has a very good method for violating the Prime Directive. He cuts the Prime Directive very thin, so it just melts in the pan. It's a very good method. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got a lot of time when you're in the uh, in the Federation prison for for a Rico case. Oh yeah. Um. Let's get to know Worf again, Ben. Well, I'm looking forward to this one. I uh, I, I I remember really liking this episode. Oh, good. Me too. Then. In the meantime, you can talk to us about this episode and any other episode by going on Twitter and using the hashtag greatest gen Adam is on there as at cut for time I'm on there as at Benjamin R A H R we also have great and lively Facebook group and Reddit groups um, go there come see us on tour if you're in some of the towns we are still making our way through can't wait yeah, in the unlikely event that there are still tickets available, please gobble those up and come out to see us. Like, I think, you know, when we think about touring this show, I don't think this is going to th- be a thing that we do constantly. It's going to happen once or twice a year. And so in places like the Midwest and the East Coast, we might not be back for a couple of years. So this is your chance. If you want to come see the show live, uh, we'd love to meet as many of you as we can. Not Don't just Raz and Plavim. We should thank Dark Materia for our theme music, Adam Ragusia for a lot of the other music that you hear on the program, and uh, the great folks at MaximumFun.org who uh, do so many things to support the show. And uh, most of all, we should thank the folks that go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and uh, support the show monetarily. It means the world to us. It is, uh, it's the only reason we can go out and do tours, really, is, uh, it really is, is through the support of our listeners, so we really appreciate that. You know how that. much fucking money it costs just to book a tour. Yeah, it's obscene. You, your head would fucking spin. Um, I don't think most people would do it, honestly, yeah. and I think that's the reason that most podcasts don't tour, quite honestly. Yeah. So uh, with that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. An episode of The Greatest Generation that is using 
storms and thunderbolts and lightning to distract you from the fact that it's a simulated episode, man. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.